This is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number 13. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the triumphant return of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. My name is Doug, and this is the first episode that I've recorded in about four months. We, um, we took a little break. We went on hiatus, if you will, because, well, we've been extremely busy. There are a lot of big changes afoot, and that is what this episode is going to be about. It's about what's been going on in real life and catching you up and uh, letting you know where we've been. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast or read my blog, you will know that we've bought ourselves a money pit. We've lived here for over 12 years, almost 13 years, and during that time, we have spent in excess of $100,000 over and above our mortgage in order to get the house to where it is now. You see, the previous owner did a lot of work, and pretty much everything he touched, he did wrong. He messed up the structure. He messed up the electrical. He messed up the plumbing. And we have had to fix up his mess-ups. And during that process, we also made a lot of upgrades. When we fixed the hot water radiant heating system, we went to the extra expense and we had it zoned. When we fixed the structure, we changed the floor plan and made it more functional for us. We didn't just have the bathroom done, we had it designed around a very cool Whirlpool jet tub. And, uh, you know, while we're at it, let's go ahead and add some in-floor heat. Why not? We opted for higher-end finishes and higher-end fixtures. And you're going to ask, did we over-improve? And um, yeah, we did. But it really didn't matter whether we did or not. This was our forever house. We weren't planning to leave here until we were dragged out to the nursing home. So all the investments that we made, we made for ourselves, for our own comfort, around our own lifestyle, and not necessarily with the view of making money or breaking even on our real estate investment. And that's okay. Not everything you do to your house needs to be about resale. You also have to live in the house and enjoy it. So over-improving is not necessarily this horrible mistake that some people make it out to be. It depends on how long you intend to live in the house. And like I said, we, we plan to stay here forever. So we've done all these repairs and renovations and upgrades. The last thing left to do, the last trace of the previous owner's handiwork is the addition. I have spoken of this addition previously, so I will spare you the ugly details other than to say that it has issues. We've known pretty much from the first year that we lived here that we would eventually have to tear down and rebuild it. But it was such a big project and it had such a huge price tag that it was always someday, or down the road, or eventually, or when we can afford it. Well, someday arrived, sort of. The mortgage finally got down to the point where we could begin to plan for the addition. So we began working with the architect, planning the design and tweaking the floor plans, and the addition was taking shape. It was becoming real maybe a little too real. It was safe to talk about 
a huge renovation when it was fairly abstract because it was so far in the future. But now we were talking about within a year. And I realized that while we could afford to finance this project, we would be going back into some serious debt in order to make it happen. Combined with our mortgage, we would owe more than we did when we first bought the house almost 13 years ago. Now, the big problem with that is that I am almost 13 years closer to retirement now. Um, if things go according to plan, I hope to retire in about eight years. I just don't want to have to work for a house anymore. There are other ways that I would prefer to spend my money other than paying down soul-crushing debt. So I was getting a serious case of cold feet. Couple that with the conversation that I had with Angela Allen last summer in episode number nine. Angela Allen of livingsmall.com. Um, th this whole thing was getting pretty hard to uh, justify. Angela talked about the joy of not being in debt to the banks. She built a small cabin in the woods that she designed for five people. Five people. And her entire floor plan would fit within the footprint of our addition. And yet, here we were, going deeper in debt and adding more finished living space to our house when there's only three of us living here. I know for a fact that once our basement was finished, with the new office and guest room in the basement of the addition, our daughter would most likely be moving downstairs. And if that happened, that would leave the entire second floor of our house unoccupied for most of the year. Except when Grandma and Grandpa would come for a visit. That is a lot of wasted space. So all of this got the wheels turning. It became clear to me that it was going to make sense for us to downsize. The plan was still to go ahead with the addition, with the renovation. But now it was going to be a flip. And I expected that whatever money we spent on the addition, we would be able to recoup once we sold the house. And then we could take our equity and we could put it towards a less expensive house, more appropriately sized for us. Basically, the plan was to end up with a mortgage of around $100,000 instead of a total debt of around $200,000. I ran this idea past the wife and kid and I explained that if we ever wanted to take that European vacation or even just have the financial ability to do other things, staying in this house was not going to be an option. And they got on board with the idea. I can remember a few years ago on the TV show Flipping Out, um, Jeff Lewis made the decision to divest himself of all the properties he bought before the housing bubble burst in order to free up money for new investments in the so-called new economy. It wasn't about profit or loss. It was simply about freeing up capital. And this was the same sort of thing. I was looking to free up capital. We started going to open houses back in September just to get a feel for the market. We were looking for houses in our new price range to get an idea of what sort of house we would be able to afford. And we were also looking at houses in the price range that we expected our house to be in once the renovations were complete. Kind of gauging the competition, if you will. Each open house we attended, we would say the same thing to whoever was hosting it. We were not looking to buy yet. We were just researching the market. But we were finishing renovations on our house and we planned to put it on the market and downsize in the spring. Now you would expect that to be a flashy neon sign over my head saying, potential client. 
but only two agents actually volunteered to come out to see what we had going on with our house. Now, mind you, we weren't asking them to yet, although we were trying to get a feel for different agents since we were going to want guidance when we did the renovation so we could get the biggest return on our investment. Anyway, we took one of these agents up on our offer, and I gave her the grand tour. I showed her what we had done. I explained the problems that we had fixed. I showed her what problems were left and how I intended to address them. And I showed her the preliminary floor plans for our proposed addition. And then we sat down and we talked numbers. The first number she threw out was how much the house would be worth if we completed the renovations. <laughs> it was a kick in the teeth. It was a stab in the back. A rude awakening. Insert the cliche of your choice here. That number was shockingly and depressingly low. Um, let me see if I can explain this. I needed to make a buck. And in order to make that buck, I was planning to spend a buck. You know, break even. But it turns out that the best I could hope for was to make 80 cents. And I was still going to have to spend a buck to make that 80 cents. And in reality, I could expect to spend more than that. But 80 cents was the maximum I would be making. Um, at that point, the dream was dying. It was looking like we were still going to be trapped in this house. But then she threw out another number. And this number was how much we could expect to get for our house if we sold it as is, without doing any more work, not spending another dime. That number was low too. It was less than what we paid for the house 13 years ago. So we were not only losing on our original purchase price, but also every single penny that we have ever put into it. You know that hundred grand that we spent on repairs and improvements? Poof. Gone. And then some. But this is where things got interesting. Selling the house as is would put more money in our pocket it would free up more capital. We would be closer to that buck that we needed without the uncertainty that goes along with construction. Because we all know that most renovations and construction tend to run over budget. How far do we go? Do we build a deck or do we leave it for the buyer to build his dream deck? I mean, this house absolutely cries out for a dream deck. We have a gorgeous backyard. Is it worse to have no deck at all? Or is it worse to slap on a cheap deck that the buyer will just want to tear down and replace anyway? Do we pave the driveway? What about replacing the boiler? Selling as is eliminates all those questions, but selling as is is also more challenging because you are not just selling the house. You have to sell the potential. The buyer has to be able to look beyond the problems and see the house for what it could be. Now, fortunately, the work that we'd already done shows extremely well, but the addition still manages to bring the value down. So it's a no-brainer, right? We would be selling as is. Now, personally, I have mixed feelings about that because, you know, it's been 13 years in this place. I wanted to see this house through to the end. I wanted to see my vision become a reality. But now it felt like I was giving up. I was letting the house win. I was walking away in defeat with my tail between my legs. And all of that is true. But I got to tell you, 
once I realized that we were done with this house, it felt like the weight of the world had been lifted from my shoulders. I was finally able to breathe again. Um, cue the sun breaking through the clouds and the choir of angels singing. Yes, it felt that good. This was the right decision. It was the right decision. The next question was whether to put the house on the market now or to wait until spring. This was at the end of September, and the real estate market was starting to slow down for the winter, but it would pick up again in the spring. Well, we decided that we would feel things out, put the house on the market now, and see what happens. What that meant was that stuff that I thought I was going to have all winter to do, like clean out the basement, had to be done now. Minor fixes that were going to be while you are at it, when the contractors were in the house, all had to be done now. Things like you know, regrouting the tile. We would have tile guys here working on the additions so they, they could regrout the hallway at the same time, right? Well, now I had to become a tile guy. I was literally working around the clock. I was taking time off work, a day here and a day there, to whip the house into presentable condition. 2 a.m., I was taking loads to storage. 4 a.m., I was grouting tile. It was crazy. I was losing all track of time and any sense of what day it was. But we got the house ready. And there was some interest in it. Our agent prefers that the homeowner leave the premises for showing, so whenever anyone wanted to see the house, we all had to pile into the minivan and take off for a half hour or so. And by we, I mean my wife and kid if they were home, and the dog. It's a tad inconvenient, but I guess it goes with the territory. Well, within the first two weeks, we had an offer. But it was conditional on the sale of their house. A few days later, another offer rolled in, and this one didn't have a house to sell. So we put that first offer on notice, and when they weren't able to remove conditions, the second offer was now in force. But that second offer got cold feet after their home inspection. You know, you tell people that the house needs work. You tell people that the price reflects the work that the house needs, but they still get scared away when the home inspection tells them that, guess what? The house needs work. Well, frankly, I don't blame them. I bought their home inspection report so that I could read it, and, um, well, for example, there was flashing that needed to be recalled. But the inspector recommended that it be evaluated by a professional roofing company. It took me about half an hour to remove the old caulk and apply the new at a total cost of oh, about 20 bucks. But the inspection report made it sound like it was a much more complicated and expensive repair. And that's just one example. There was a list of repairs in the report that looked overwhelming, but many of them could have been done on a Saturday morning. The rest were in the addition, and the addition was the reason that the house was priced as it was. You know what, though? The inspection report aside, I just don't think that the house was a good fit for them, for those uh, people with the second offer. To use round numbers, they were probably looking for a $200,000 house. Well, that's not our house. Our house is a $300,000 house priced at $200,000 because it needs $100,000 worth of work. Anyway, once that offer fell through, the first people came back with another offer, still with the house to sell. 
but we were hopeful. Meanwhile, we were looking for a house ourselves, and there were a couple of prospects. But somewhere along the line, it happened. The perfect house came on the market. Keeping in mind that, of course, no house is perfect, and perfect houses will always come on the market. So we put in our offer, and we kept our fingers crossed. Somewhere during this time, we got yet another offer on our house, and this one was a good one, without a house to sell. So those first people were put on notice once again. Fortunately, they chose to back out. So we have an offer on a house, and there is an offer on our house, right? Things are looking good. And our buyer schedules his inspections for Thursday. Wednesday evening, Wednesday evening, our agent calls us with some bad news. The house that we wanted to buy, the house that we had the offer on, well, they got another offer, and now we were on notice. We had until Saturday midnight to remove our conditions. So we scheduled our inspection for Saturday morning. At this point, everything is very precarious. If our buyer walks, we lose out on the other house and we're back to square one because we can't afford to carry two mortgages. There's just no way. If our buyer drags his feet, we could still lose out on the other house and essentially be homeless. So anyway, Thursday, the buyer has his inspections and we wait in limbo. No call Thursday night. No call Friday morning. No call Friday afternoon. Our agent finally calls Friday evening with the news. Our house was sold. So we have our inspections on Saturday. The inspection goes well. And the new house, you know, it's not without issues, but they are minor in comparison to what we faced in the money pit. And we know what to expect. Saturday afternoon, we remove our conditions. So we are talking about a matter of hours. Hours. Where everything came together when it could have just as easily fallen apart. Talk about tense. Talk about stress. But now it was finally over. So that's it. We are bidding farewell to our beloved money pit. Now I know what you're thinking. We're passing our problems on to another unsuspecting buyer, but that's not the case. Everything that remains to be fixed in this house is out in the open. We didn't hide anything, and the buyer gets the benefit of the work that we have already done. A hundred grand's worth. He got the house at a fair price. We practically gave it away. It just didn't make sense for us to spend more money on the house given what we've already spent. But the next owner, he hasn't spent any money yet. He can pick up where we left off and any money that he does spend, if he spends it wisely, will be a good investment. So in a way, everybody wins. Uh, just don't remind me of the hundred grand that vanished. Now, I realized that this episode was, once again, all about me, but I want to give you a couple takeaways. Number one, get a home inspection. If we had a home inspection done 13 years ago, maybe we would have got cold feet and saved $100,000. Number two, to quote Kenny Rogers, 
You've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. For us, it was time to fold them and walk away. Number three, you can't dig yourself out of a hole. It was time for us to put the shovel down. Number four, be like the shark. Always swimming forward, never backward. It won't do any good to second guess our decisions or wish that we'd done things differently because we simply can't change the past. Number five, work with a real estate agent. I can't stress this one enough. Now, I know a lot of people sell privately and they're able to sell their house privately and all that stuff. But I think in our case, there's no way we could have done this on our own. Our agent understood the market well enough to price our house appropriately so that it generated interest and ultimately for offers. The buyers with the house to sell, who we put on notice twice, they were trying to sell privately. They obviously wanted our house bad enough that they offered on it twice, but they ultimately lost out because they were trying to sell their house on their own. But the biggest advantage came from the fact that our agent had connections, a network to get traffic through our house. The buyers who offered on our house twice, their agent was in the same office as our agent. They were using that agent to buy a house. They just weren't using the agent to sell their house. Go figure. The buyers who, uh, who put in the second offer, they were clients of our agent. And the listing agent for the house that we are buying was also in the same office. And it was because of that that we were able to get our offer in on that house before it was even listed on the MLS. We put our offer in on that house literally the same afternoon that she pounded the sign into the front lawn. It was that fresh. Do you get that kind of networking if you sell privately? Would all the stars have aligned the way they did if we went it alone? (laughs) I don't think so. So the reason you sell privately is to save the commission, but I look at it this way. We might not have been able to get as high an offer if we were selling on our own. So basically that pays for the commission right there. So there it is. After almost 13 years of stress, of trying to make this bad relationship work, it's finally time to move on. I am recording this episode from our money pit. As I'm recording this, it is February 1st. This episode, if all goes according to plan, is being released on February 4th. We take possession of our new house on February 5th. So, anyway, the new house is a 30-something-year-old backsplit. It's been well cared for. It has an attached garage, which means I will finally have my workshop. There are a number of small projects that we want to do, but no major renovations are needed. No major renovations are needed. Sweeter words could not be spoken. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at thumbandhammer.com slash 13. I want to thank you very much for joining me, and I invite you to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher Radio if you haven't already. If you have a story to share about your own money pit, 
or your experiences with DIY or home renovations, why don't you head on over to thumbandhammer.com slash contact. There, you can send me a voicemail message or an email, and you could be featured on an upcoming episode of this podcast and potentially help other homeowners. Finally, if you like to shop at Amazon and you would like to help support this podcast, now you can do both simply by clicking through one of the Amazon links on my website. You get what you want, and at no extra cost to you, I earn a modest commission. Thank you in advance. I will talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, cheers.